Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mine community. Welcome back to another um, episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining podcast. And today's guest is Stacey Hope, who's the MD of Women in Mining UK um, and a global advisor on subjects including ESG, social investing, climate, gender and smart cities and resilience. So quite a few, um, quite a few topics that Stacey's um, an expert in. Um, she has a background in anthropology and is also going to talk to us about women in mining and their purpose, and around some of the topics, including ESG, social investing, and gender equality. So that's welcome, Stacey, to the podcast. How are you doing, Stacey? I'm well. Thanks for having me, Rob. How are you? I'm good, thank you, on this Monday morning. Um, mm. And again, appreciate your time. I know how busy you were. Um, and we uh, it, it would be good to obviously get, we wanted to get you on, um, because we obviously want to talk about women in mining, which I think is obviously a, important subject um, amongst many others. So first of all, just wondered um, for people that that may not know you, I wonder if you just tell us a little bit, little bit about your background, about your career, um, especially your career in, in the mining industry. Um, so people uh, sort of understand a little bit about your uh, background and, and who Stacey, Stacey Hope is. Oh, absolutely. And um, a lot of my friends actually introduced me as an MI6 agent which I'm not, okay. but it's kind of cool <laughs> because um, how I define myself, it's off, it often changes, right? Depending on my clients and who I'm speaking to. But uh, again, uh, Stacey Hope, I am the newly appointed managing director for Women in Mining UK. Congratulations. Uh, volunteer position. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, but it's not my day job, Rob, right? <laughs> so for my, my day job, um, I'm a consultant and strategic advisor for various multilateral agencies, such as the UN Group and the World Bank. But I also advise and consult for governments and companies across the extractives, agriculture, infrastructure sectors. There are others speckled in there. And, and you mentioned that um, I also sit on the advisory board for a few social impact investment funds, as well as mining in Daba. And I am the ESG director for an Africa-focused uh, strategic advisory firm called Africa Matters. And I know I've missed many, but I think at the at the crux of it all, I'm an anthropologist. So if it if it's related to communities, people, engagement, and conflict and negotiations, I'm usually at the heart of it. And when it comes to the mining sector, my story is a little bit interesting because I was introduced to the mining sector through my PhD fieldwork. I lived in the Amazon for two years in an indigenous community, and they just happened to be a mining, artisanal mining community right on the border between Brazil and Guyana. And every day I would see the miners come out of the mines and bring their gold for the shopkeeper. And at one point, I was a shopkeeper as well. It's a long story. Um, and we used to have to burn the gold in order to weigh it and then barter with the gold and 
the products, um, the commodities, whatever they wanted to trade. So, um, so that was my introduction to mining. And I moved back to the UK. I was doing my PhD in St. Andrews. And I moved back, finished it, came to London and ended up working for a junior mining company, just randomly waiting to start a fellowship at a university here. And then I really loved it. We, we were um, looking at operating in Chile and Colombia. And I found it very fascinating, especially this whole anthropological insight into what it means to work on a mine in a community uh, basis and not from the LSMs. So I, I think that introduction, not only from the Amazon, but working for um, a junior mining company really got me interested. And I just happened to work in mining jurisdictions. So it all made sense why the extractive industries really came to me as opposed to me coming to it. Got you. And I, I take it as a consultant, you may work in other industries. What would you like, what would you say attracted you to more to mining than maybe some of the other industries? Uh, I suppose what's, what's probably unique in some of your work that you do as a consultant, um, what's more unique in the mining industry that's probably not so relevant in other industries? I think the the culture of mining in a lot of the jurisdictions in which I work it really defines not only the communities, but the countries themselves. And there comes a bit more complexity when engaging with communities, governments, and the multilaterals within the mining or oil and gas uh, sectors. But really in mining, you know, it's done on home ground. And you have lots of issues around land rights because, again, I mentioned I work with um, Indigenous communities. And depending on the Indigenous agency within those countries, you find, you know, policies playing an interesting role, legislations. And I've been involved in shaping country policies for land use, particularly with mining. When it comes to mining, because it's below ground, they're, you know, having to argue for subsoil rights is a bit different from anything above ground that you can see. So the complexities around that and the innovative, in its innovative nature of arguments from Indigenous, from government, from multilaterals in who owns it and who can share in its prosperity becomes a bit more um, exciting for me. With agriculture, it's a bit more clear cut. Um, I work in water as well. So then there's also the issue of subsurface uh, rights. But water tends to be much clearer when we talk about policy, usage, uh, safety, uh, and conservation. It's mining because it is invasive. We have to dig it out and then we have to manipulate it in order to reap true benefits and true value, especially if we measure it against global markets. So all these different entities playing a role in how countries and individuals define the value of these commodities, is it's a bit different and for me, very exciting to be a part of. Yeah. Um, obviously, you mentioned that you've recently become the, the managing director of the Women in, in Mining UK. 
I wonder if you can just tell us, um, I suppose, the role that you play as the managing director and about women in mining and its and its obviously purpose. Well, first of all, thanks for having Women in Mining UK on the show. Um, I guess, firstly, to start, we are a not-for-profit organization. That's why I said it's not my day job. We're all volunteers and all dedicated to a cause, right? We're dedicated to see more women represented in the industry. And I think more importantly, we advocate for their employment, their retention, their progression in the industry. And at the same time, the organization is inclusive to men. So, you know, I think when you see women in mind, it's like, oh, it's a women's organization. Let's uh, let them get on with it. But no, we really need to drive um, that inclusivity within our own organization and appeal to more men joining so that we can change the male default of the industry and so that everyone becomes a part of the narrative, a part of the conversation and a part of the solution. And with that, we, we do this through having a number of initiatives. A lot of people tune in to see our um, webinars. They come to our events. Our events are usually fully subscribed, especially now that we can go back to in-person events. But we also have our scholarships with the Camborne School of Mines and, Imp- and Imperial. And we have a host of internship programs from so many different mining companies who see value in not only having more women, young women have the opportunity to garner these internship opportunities, but to do it through Women in Mining UK as well. And then we also have the Wim Voice initiative, which is to have more women participate in programs like yours, but also when we come to the big conferences and having more women represented on on panels. So one of the things as managing director is to help drive these initiatives, drive the mandate. I now sit on the advisory board for Mining in Daba. And part of the role of Women in Mining UK sitting on that board is to help bring more women to the conference and help to shape the gender transformative framework for that organization. But then also, I come from a very different background from my predecessors. I'm an academic or wannabe academic. Um, I'm an anthropologist and I work really, well, mostly on behalf of the multilaterals, which is also why I think they, a lot of people think I work for the CIA. I get confused or, or MI6. Um, so I have, I have ideas because obviously I work in policy and I work in research. And driving WIM UK's role as a policy driver is also important to me. So that's something that I want to drive during my tenure as well. So, uh, yeah. And I think to wrap that part up as managing director, it's really about being more vocal, being present and helping to shape that narrative for the organization or being the visible uh, person to do that as well. Um, with mining companies' commitment to ESG uh, and DEI, do women still face challenges 
Um, and do men realise this? Uh, obviously, from your from your experience in the industry. Yeah. Oh, Rob, I wish I could say you know, no, we don't face challenges, but unfortunately, we do. We're still underrepresented in the in the industry, and if you're underrepresented in the industry, that ultimately comes with its challenges. Um, I think the last figures I saw, we were eight to seventeen percent. Uh, represented within the mining workforce, the global mining workforce. And then when we talk about drop-off rates, we're one of the highest across all industries. So why is that, right? If we didn't have these significant challenges, then we wouldn't see these stark, dramatic uh, disparities between entry and drop-off. And then if we were to even go to C-suite, because C-suite participation is key for shaping the, the policies, the way in which the organization runs for companies, we're only about 13% within the mining sector, which, you know, I don't have to say it, 13% says that we're not doing enough. But that's not to say that the mining sector isn't working towards changing this, because I think the industry acknowledges this problem and we're seeing companies actively doing something about it and in innovative ways. They're looking at their workforce, they're looking at their organization, and they're trying to see what works within the context of the jurisdictions in which they work. Because, you know, I always, I don't want to paint our advocacy as a for us against them initiative, that will never work. It has to be working in tandem. And it also is upon us to also help to shape how the male default becomes the human default, right? The people-centered default. So we have to, we need to think about what women need to remain or even to enter the industry and we can't do that if we're looking at it from the traditional male lens. So to your question as to whether men realize this, realize the challenges, I say absolutely. But the extent to which the challenges um, are presented to women, I don't think so. Because unless you can see through our lens, it becomes very difficult for men to fully understand the entire gamut of the challenges and um, men don't have to think about menopause right so you're not automatically going to think about the role in which menopause plays in women's retention in the industry for example uh, men don't tend to be the main child carers right so you will think about it to an extent but not to you know, how do I get from A to B within this particular time when also I have to go pick up the dry cleaning, the, the dinner, the da, 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 you know, so we don't automatically think about the day in the life of a woman and the day in the life of a man in order to map out what needs to be addressed and what the challenges are during that day. One of the things that I do is ask men to map out the day in the life of a woman 
and women to do the same. And men miss out so much. And the women just laugh, like they love this exercise because it really helps to shift the, the thinking towards, well, okay, this is, this is what we thought we knew, but this is actually what we need to really get to the bottom of. And I hope that more conversations, especially through organizations like the Women in Mining groups, like Women in Mining UK and so forth, can really help to break down these barriers and also open up the, the perspectives a bit more. Yeah. Um, you mentioned um, high dropout of females dropping out of the industry. Is there a common theme behind that? And as an industry, is there a way that we can learn to reduce, obviously reduce that number? Yeah, I think we have to, we have to think about when women tend to drop out of the industry and for what reasons. And that changes also depending on the jurisdictions. You have jurisdictions, you have countries where their legislations aren't conducive to women working in the sector as well. You have uh, countries where women are not only not allowed to work as truck drivers, but they're not allowed underground, they're not allowed on site, and this is this is a major barrier. But within jurisdictions like ours, I think the problem comes at a signif- at a period in time. You tend to see this drop off rate around um, mid level, mid midway through your career, where there are certain things that either happen or they're going on personally in women's lives at that time, whether it's children household management, and then not being able to progress because we're not able to keep up at the pace of the male default institutional construct of how one should progress, then that becomes a deterrent. We have other sectors that will take mining talent and allow that person to then progress in a way that's conducive to how they exist in the world, right? Whereas in the mining sector, where it has been traditionally male-led, hence male-dominated, the progression then is defined by the male way of progressing. And not to say that that's not changing. We're seeing lots of things in terms of childcare initiatives, mental health, taking personal breaks, flexible working to really address these issues. Also, we have mining companies that are advocating at policy and legislative levels to governments to say, you have this huge workforce that can not only add significant measure to your development initiatives and your development, uh, socioeconomic development, but you we need this talent, these this female workforce to help also drive our financial and operational success. And this is incredible. And I think mining, because we are placed in these very um, contentious regions as well, I think because of that, we are also placed to do so much good at a national level. It's not our job, but in a sense, in a way, it's kind of our duty as operating within those countries. 
Oh, and I was going to say, do you, uh, based on what you've just said, does other industries handle this better? And what can we learn from other industries? Mm. Um, from obviously from your experience, I think you have the you have AI, digital, fi- fintech those types of industries because they are fast paced technology moves at such a fast pace that they have to move with it and because they're carrying a lot of the younger generations who are who are advocating for diversity inclusivity a sense of belonging as well young people want to belong right they want to make that space part of theirs and because they're the ones that are kind of um charging through that narrative for these particular industries. And the industries are looking towards the youth constantly to think about the trends, how um, the user experience, how are all these things going to work for our bottom line? They need to think of these innovative ways of bringing all genders, all ethnicities to, to the forefront. I think as mining in a, within the mining sector, we don't think about the end user that much. Um, whereas in tech, you have to think about who's going to use the tech. And it's not just men or it's not just women. You want everyone to choose your iPhone or Samsung, right? Are you, Sam, are you Android or are you an Apple kind of person? And you... And you're constantly battling for that. So I think looking at tech AI companies to see how they're attracting young people, how they're attracting women, different ethnicities, that would be probably ground zero. And then borrowing and adapting for for the mining sector. A lot of these companies aren't looking at at their education, right? They're looking at skill sets. Are you able to adapt? How do you have this type of thinking that we need? And maybe mining needs to look a bit more about the skill set, about the talent, as opposed to the education, right? What, how many years you've studied? Have you graduated from these types of universities and so forth? Um, so what is the low-hanging fruit when it sort of comes to encouraging more women into the mining industry? Um, and preventing attrition? Um, And what are the opportunities that are harder to achieve, but I suppose worth it in the end? Harder to achieve for the companies, right? Um, I don't think anything is harder to achieve for the mining companies. I just think um, it depends on the level of onboarding of that company, right? So you might have more work to do because you have no men, uh, sorry, no women um, represented in senior management or on your boards. You haven't actually had to think about it and now you're thinking about it, right? Um, versus someone who is, is getting there. We have representation, but not enough. Uh, I think the first thing would be look at how you're hiring, like what's your entry level program? Is it, we want students from these universities and are these universities known for producing lots of women and male graduates? Or do we need to look at something else like the FinTech 
AI uh, companies. There are lots of programs that companies can initiate. I like to give examples of what we do at WIM UK because we do them on behalf of mining companies. So it's a great way for mining companies to, one, support um, a women in mining initiative, but then also to help drive their own programs and their own ethos around gender inclusivity. So, for example, we have scholarship programs. We have um, we do mentorship at a, a level, a certain level, but we have other women in mining groups who are really great at mentorship programs. So we tend to drive them towards there. But internships, right? Mining companies having internships, that for me is a great low-hanging fruit because oftentimes young women might not have the opportunity to get those internships. So we help to place them there. The more internships, the better. Right. Um, and then that also allows the mining company to help shape that young woman's ability to operate within the mining company. And then for the mining companies to see, well, OK, these young, bright women are really excelling. They're really hardworking. They are n- not only equal, but it's an equitable market here. And then, of course, making sure that their women are visible. I think when young people see other women in uh, C-suite, board positions, senior management positions, but also as truck drivers, also as processors, when we see representation across the board, then it doesn't become an industry that is a deterrent for women. It's telling me that, oh, we can operate here as well, and it looks cool. So why aren't we joining the party, right? So I think um, the low-hanging fruit is there depending on the level of engagement the mining company has and vice versa for what's a bit harder for uh, companies to, um, to onboard. It's just about commitment, right? If you're committed, yes. if it's something that you're you're uh, willing to get on board with, then it's not difficult. You just have to drive it. And it has to come from the top. If it's at the top, if everyone at the top is on board with driving gender parity or gender equity within the organization, then everyone at the bottom, maybe the hardest, and now I'm thinking about it, maybe the hardest thing to do is changing the cultural norms and the just the culture of the organization and changing the mindset, especially if you're operating in a jurisdiction where women don't have many rights or are seen as secondary citizens. That's harder because it's about social norms. And even for governments and the multilaterals, to change social norms, it's very difficult. But once you make it a part of your company's culture, then slowly, slowly, you you bring that cultural norm from the company out into the external communities. And then that feeds in the new pipeline to be like, okay, if I work for this company, I know that I have to respect women. I can't 
behave in a certain way, especially when we talk about sexual harassment in the Western definition versus the non-Western definition as well. You need to think about that because it still is sexual harassment, right? But it's just about ensuring that people really understand what that means outside of this context. So yeah, I'd say it's the social cultural norms. That's the killer, Rob. <laughs> it sounds that, yeah. Um, what is the Women in Mining 100? I wonder if you can just tell us a little bit more about that and its purpose. Absolutely. So uh, WIM 100, which is the 100 Global Inspirational Women in Mining Initiative, we call it WIM 100 for short. For us, it's one of our vital initiatives. It's um, a publication that celebrates women in the industry and their contributions. But it's not just about the contributions, it's about the above and beyond nature by which uh, those contributions have a significant impact to the mining sector and to the communities in which these women live. So I guess more importantly, it highlights their, the incredible diversity within the mining sector that already exists, and it celebrates it. It celebrates these inspirational women, their stories across all roles and senioritys, because we have women who are ASMs. We have women who are truck drivers, as I mentioned before, but we also have board members it shows how women are making positive and impactful changes through advocacy and, and a desire to empower others. And I'm quite proud to say that uh, the Women 100 has become a source of prestige for companies and for the women. We have seen mining companies create initiatives around their Women 100s to help to drive that visibility within their own organization and to attract young people coming into the companies, which is great. I'm like, yes, use, use the Women 100 this way. This is what it's for. We have the women themselves posting on their LinkedIn that they are Women 100s, which is great because it also shows that they see value in being in the books. And then we also have I think, and for me, this is the this is the impact. This is the category killer, as someone had said to me before, was when is when the recruiters and the headhunters reach out to us and say, "Oh, we'd love to get in contact with this, 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 and this person. Uh, we have these roles. Could you help facilitate that?" Or they just go through the publications and reach out themselves. And we've had women contact us from Kenya, from all over. They say, oh, a headhunter contacted me. And they said that they saw me in the WIM 100 publication. Thank you so much. And I think that adds even greater value. I think visibility for young women to see that they are represented in the mining sector and to, and to really empower them to keep going and not be deterred but then also to ensure that women are also continuously being considered within the, the talent pipeline. So that's the um, Women 100. Yeah, and I was going to say, those that are listening, how can they get involved in Women 100? Great question, because this year 
we have launched our fifth edition and we launched on International Women's Day. You can nominate and anyone can nominate regardless of the sector you can nominate, but you have to nominate a woman who is within the mining sector. Um, So it's not a company that has to nominate. Individuals can nominate. And you nominate based on a series of criteria and you go on our website, womeninmining.org.uk and you can fill out the nominations form. There should be a pop-up that says nominate as soon as you log on. Um, And yeah, fill out the forms, the criteria. We have three main criteria. Um, we, We tend to ask that you look at someone who you consider to be a trailblazer or a pioneer, uh, someone who advocates for, well, advocates and empowers others, and then a person who perseveres in the face of adversity. So these criteria really, the culmination of them is the person that we want you to think about. And yeah, Nominations end on the 10th of June. And last time we had six, around 626 um, individuals who were nominated out of over 1,100 nominations. And we want to see those figures or more because there's so many women who should be nominated, so many women who should be re-nominated as well because they've progressed in their careers. So. We encourage everyone, man, woman, binary, however you identify, to to um, nominate. So what we can do, we can put those links in the uh, show notes accompanying this anyway. So we can encourage all of our listeners that listen to this podcast to uh, to vote as well. Um, as a conclusion, obviously with all the different uh, types of um, obviously, you're a consultant in the industry and looking at all these different um, disciplines um, or how do you call it, um, issues that may be affecting the mining industry. If you sort of had a, a bit of a magic wand, how would you like the, the or how would you shape the future of the mining industry? Um, and bearing in mind with all the different um, disciplines that you that you you're an expert in how would you like this how would you like the mining industry to change from from today if you if you had a magic wand and can, uh, could change everything oh you know I'm, I'm i need to be strategic with this answer Rob. <laughs> um but i think as a whole a bit more forward forward thinking future proofing um Maybe that is what we really need to think about, not just the immediate future, but a bit of a longer time frame, 30 years, 50 years. We think about these time frames in terms of the life cycle strategic answer, but really from diversity, from inclusivity, from the skills that we need to have, that is where that will put mining companies at the forefront. And that way we won't have to talk about the 13% uh, statistic of CEOs or eight to 17% statistic of women in, in the mining industry globally. So yeah, let's get that 
forward-thinking, future-proofing, strategic thinking going. <laughs> yes, yeah, certainly. Stacey, I really appreciate your time and uh, coming on to the podcast and obviously telling us about women in mining. And obviously it's important. I go to some of the conferences and obviously you mentioned the Indaba. Um, when is the Indaba on? Um, it's coming uh, up. This, yeah, this year it's May 9th to 12th in person, which is nice. I know reduced, which is quite sad for many, but yeah, looking forward yeah. to seeing you there, Rob. Yeah, certainly I'll, I'll be attending and any of those that are listening, um, obviously check it out and try and uh, try and get yourselves there. Um, it's a great event. I've been a couple of times myself and um, yeah, you can obviously Brilliant. get back to networking again and obviously um, even meet up with them, Stacey and Absolutely, um, we'll have a booth. We'll have yeah. a booth at, at Mining and Dubs. So come and check out Women in Mining UK. We'll be sharing it with uh, Women in Mining South Africa as well. So that'll be great. And we will also be on the main stage. So you can catch okay. us there as well. Even, even more reason to uh, to buy a ticket and uh, attend. So, Stacey, <laughs> really appreciate your time and um, obviously giving us an update and telling us about Women in Mining. Um, and some of, obviously some of the topics that we did cover, because um, obviously it's it's important. And I think I think everyone in the mining industry just sometimes just needs to take a step back and just think through things. And some obviously the points that you um that you discussed. And um, for those that are listening, appreciate your continued support. Um, appreciate if you can obviously share this episode uh, amongst people within the industry. Maybe even some share this episode with maybe other women that are not in the in the mining industry that may want to uh, that may want to enter but they may have some reservations and i'm sure stacy's covered a, a, a number of points here where you may you may be hesitant but you know there is support to there is support for you if you did want to enter the industry so um no matter what jurisdiction that you're in or what country you're living in so um, i do encourage you to share this episode amongst others in the industry, but also uh, others that are not in the industry. So really appreciate your time again, Stacey. And uh, no doubt we can uh, probably do a follow-up session later this year or next year um, with any incentives that you may have uh, brought on. With pleasure. Thanks. Thanks so much, Rob. And until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, Happy Mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.